Today's sermon is brought to you by Michelle Lamb and her family, because at uh, last year's auction, she bought one of the sermons. And you'll have a chance to do that again. Just make that pitch now. She's here with us, with her husband. So I have some extra performance anxiety. (laughs) She and I had coffee at Starbucks early in the summer, and I've been mulling over our conversation. And I have to start with what was on her mind was her own family. And at the end of our conversation, she pulled out her phone to show me who we were talking about, which is her beautiful son, Arlo. And out of my mouth comes, after this long conversation, exactly what she was talking about. I said, oh, he's delightful, he's lovely, and now I can't remember exactly what I said. I either said, he looks normal, (laughs) or I can't tell, or something incredibly stupid. And all of a sudden, my cappuccino began to taste like the bottom of the soles of my feet. And she called me on it, and I was really grateful, because the automatic response is so deep, this notion of what is normal. And that wasn't the title she asked for. She didn't give me a title, but I realized that's actually what we were talking about, is what is normal? How do we get to define what is normal? And a little bit of her story, so Arlo, this adorable young boy, was born with an extra chromosome, Down syndrome. And her description of what finding out that he had an extra chromosome was like, she said it was a tsunami of grief that arrived in a single day excited that pregnant, going to give birth, or uh, now I can't remember where it was in the story, giving birth. And all of those dreams of what it would be to be a new parent and have a child were um, completely changed. And the grief involved in what she had hoped and now what they had were, uh, was heartbreaking. she, She talked about, she said, I wanted to commit suicide. It was that. And not because she didn't want to be there to parent Arlo, but the pain at that moment was one of those, can I just get out of this pain in some way? And suicide seemed the simplest route. So she wanted to talk about what it means to have a child or anyone who is... And and I'm going to struggle through this whole sermon with different because what I want to talk about is what the heck is different and what is normal and what is a disability and what is not. So, of course, dis means set aside, away. And that's often been how cultures deal with those who are not and she used the word typical typical so who on earth is not typical so we're going to struggle this whole sermon with that balance of normal and that we all are more alike than we are different 
and that we are all different and deserve recognition for that difference. So she turned me on to a researcher, a man named Al Condolucci. So you heard Ann Steiner read his sort of history of what it means to be marginalized outside that we have this historical, as a, as a human race, um, capacity to set aside all who are different in some way. And Al's story, he lives in Pennsylvania, and he has been advocating for the disabled. I'm going to trip over that word because it's not the word I want to use, but disabled. Um, since the 1980s, when he would take his, go out with his cousins, and they'd go to street fairs and that kind of things, and he had a, a cousin who was Down syndrome, and he noticed people were either incredibly cruel to her, made joking remarks and nasty comments, or just completely invisible, walked right past. And that was a turning point in his life, and he has spent the last decades advocating not only for the disabled, but what he does is has created communities and worked to help communities grow and become more inclusive. And he talks about capacity, which is what we'll talk about as Hope Church, why we bother, why Michelle's topic is even worth a sermon title, and that's because as a community, how do we incorporate everyone, and what does that look like? And what is it when we make mistakes and put our foot in the mouth? And what is normal? And I'm going to push back on Michelle, because I think some of, um, some of the struggle we have with race is about Uh, the navigation of do we recognize someone's skin color or not and I'd say there's no way not to recognize there's no way to, to not recognize how someone looks we all want to be seen we all want to be known and not invisible so to not recognize that your skin color is slightly different from that person's or completely different our understanding of racism has evolved to the point where the notion that we should be blind to race is a mistake. What Michelle wanted us to know, and for me to be reminded, is that when we use any characteristic to generalize about that person, that's when we're cutting off this whole glorious part of that person that we'll never know because we've made assumptions. We've lost the capacity, to use Al Condolucci's language. We've lost the capacity to really see someone wholly and fully in all their quirks, in all their sameness. So I'm saying, I, I'm pushing back. I want to notice that your child may have Down syndrome. What I don't want is to then assume I know anything about that child. I was thinking about um, colorblindness. So what does it mean to be inclusive and what does it mean to have capacity? So I looked up the history of our street lights. And that they come, of course, during railroad days, not car days. 
And how do you accommodate those rail engineers who might be colorblind? And colorblindness, like race, like an extra chromosome, like everything, is a spectrum. There's no single colorblindness. The red-green tends to be the majority, but there's a whole bunch of other kinds of colorblindness. And it's, it varies by, um, I was going to say culture, but it varies by geography. Uh, the Inuits tend to have less colorblindness of any kind than other cultures. Why is that? Who knows? But what's interesting is we no longer think about the fact that our traffic lights are standardized and that there's green, red, uh, yellow, and red, that there is a, a I was going to say geographic, a geographic uh, dis- distribution of the light so that someone who is colorblind, and it doesn't mean they can't see colors, they just, the red doesn't look like the red to us, but we've accommodated our whole world of traffic and trains and transportation so that people who, do, who see color differently can get around there's that word, normally, can get around like all of us, that we all can be on, maybe leveling the, the playing field is what I want to say. And I'm hoping that that's what Michelle is wanting us to consider as a church and as individuals, that what can we do ongoing to consider all of the difference that we all have, to notice them, and to say, how can we make it easier for you to get around? I was thinking about, you know, our, our architect, um, Ron Dursmith, died at the end of August. And I've noticed that we have this ramp, but I don't think it's original to the building. So the church, early on, made a concession to those who might have trouble with steps and built that ramp that fits right in. No one thinks about it. How can we do that for every child who comes here? And it's not, um, it's a process. So I think what Michelle is inviting us to is a process that we're already in the middle of, but we can always get better. Our effort to become a welcoming congregation is exactly the same. How does someone who has a different understanding of themselves and their gender identity, how do we make sure they are welcome here? What are the things that we can do? And there are questions what we have to be asking nonstop is who's not at the table? And we have to get to know people so that we can ask them. And the question I might have asked Michelle when she showed me the picture of her adorable Arlo was, tell me about him, rather than telling her what I saw. Huh. If I invite more than tell you what I think, every single conversation will be richer. There is uh, an explosion of artists, in part because of the uh, American Disabilities Act, but in the last couple of decades, there's an explosion of artists who are working in the area of disabilities. So you saw Sue Austin, the amazing woman who's in this wheelchair swimming through the ocean. Her story is interesting, and how she talks about disability, I think, applies to what we're thinking about today. So she had not been able to walk and got a wheelchair, and her description of what it meant to all of a sudden, the wheelchair to her was 
freedom, complete freedom, and she was astounded because she had been flat on her back and immobile for uh, more than a decade. She uh, lives and works in Devon in the UK. And she said, the wheelchair just opened up a whole world for me. And she said, but I realized people looked at me and saw my wheelchair as a disability, as a limitation. She was like, no, no, this wheelchair is not at all a limitation. And so she is a conceptual artist, and she works with her wheelchair. She has, she has one wheelchair that's rigged up with paint pots, and she does these amazing paintings rolling her wheelchair. And uh, I'm not sure how she got interested in scuba diving, but she realized that scuba gear was just like her wheelchair. It was, on some level, limiting, and on the other hand, completely freeing. And so she wanted to experience what it would be like to be in a wheelchair. I mean, I watched that a couple of times, and I think, now why isn't she like on some platform so she's flying like Superman? Or, but she's, she's an artist. Artists have to make their points. And she's making the point that her wheelchair is that freedom. She's patented that free wheelchair. Um, So there are all these artists that are pushing against what we consider normal and asking us to reconsider what it means to be a human, really. That's what we should be saying rather than disabled. And the ableism that we all bring to the world, which is our own experiences... I forget what it's like to not be able to move around because I'm in something wider than a doorway or can't get to a kitchen counter because it's not my daily experience. The root dis, as I said, means apart, away, separate, but it also means utterly utterly. So what if disabled means utterly able? And that's our job, is to make everyone in this community utterly able to participate if they want. And what if that requires that we really get to know each other and not make assumptions, but ask a lot of questions? What's it like to go around the world the way you are, and how can we change how we do things to accommodate you. Because if we accommodate one person, inevitably we'll end up accommodating a lot of other people. Can I get earthy here? When I first came to Hope Church in the women's bathroom, okay, should I admit this? I am past that childbearing age. But I noticed there were no wastebaskets for women who needed uh, sanitary products. So I thought, well, hmm, (laughs) that's an interesting little thing, that there are no trash cans in each stall that a woman might need. So we weren't willing or thinking about accommodating women of childbearing age. Huh, that was really hard to fix. Let's just get some trash cans and put them in there. But it's that kind of... uh, 
We're a religious community called to step into each other's shoes by what we observe and also by asking a lot of questions with love so that everyone is dis, utterly able to participate and be part of us. And I think every single human interaction we have, we need to consider cross-cultural. That we do have these huge common elements that allow us to move towards each other and interact, but at the same time we have to assume every single person is from a foreign country and speaks a foreign language and get to understand that native experience that that one person has and ask how can we make that possible for this native to exist in our community? How can it be utterly possible? We all need to have passports and stamp them by getting to know each other. Would you stamp my passport and let me know that I really understand who you are and where you're coming from? We just had a committee fair, or still having a committee fair, and I think it's every committee's responsibility to ask this question. Who's not at the table? Who are we not serving? And why? And of course we'll have limitations. We're going to make mistakes. And we can say we'd like to be able to accommodate something, and it will take time and perhaps resources to get there. But that we are always asking How can we make this place and our being together a place where everyone can be, no matter who they are? Michelle said she experienced times when uh, institutions said, I'm sorry, we can't, can't handle or take Arlo. That's heartbreaking. I would like for us to be the church that says, oh, yes. We understand, we see him. We see him not just for that chromosome, but his wholeness. Al Condolucci talks about the problem we have. It's, it's actually a, um, it's a perceptive distortion. We tend to generalize. So when you use a medical term for someone's difference, then you are cutting out the possibility of all the ways that person can participate. So Al Condolucci talks a lot about medicalizing generalizations. Everyone, anyone who's been to the hospital or the doctor's office and becomes their diagnosis, and not a whole human being knows exactly what that feels like. So who's at our table? Who's missing? Who's not here? Who can't be here because of questions we forget to ask or things we forget to do or assumptions, those generalizations that we make. I hope we take dis to mean utterly. That we want everyone utterly able to be part of our community. May it be so.